morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, November 7th, we are studying Joshua chapter 21, verses 1 to 45. The Levites do not receive an inheritance of land in the same way as the other tribes. Instead, they are scattered throughout the land of Israel to dwell in cities and make use of pasture lands. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Brian Flammy. Pastor Flammy serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. Pastor Flammy, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Hey, it's really great to be back. Always enjoyable. So as we get to talk about Joshua 21 today, the Levites, these cities that they get, uh, what should we know about Joshua in the context as we prepare to look at this text? Yeah, a couple of key passages in the Torah, I would say. I mean, especially when you get into this part of Joshua, where the land is conquered and the Lord has now been distributing to each of the tribes and, and the clans, you know, the, the land promised to them. Uh, uh, it's good to see that, you know, it, it, despite a handful of references in the 13th chapter, the 14th chapter, and the 18th chapter, that the Lord says to the Levites, don't worry about it. Uh, I'm going to be your inheritance, you know, uh, which is a f- fantastic turn of phrase that the Lord himself is the heritage and the inheritance of the Levites. Uh, still, we hear nothing being of nothing being given to the Levites until finally we get to this chapter. Now, this is by no means strange, weird, or unexpected. Um, and so just remember when we get to some of the names of, uh, of Levi's sons, uh, that's the uh, the list of those names and wh- and who these clans are, where they came from. That could be found in Exodus chapter six, if you, if you would uh, want to mark that in your Bible. Especially look at verses sixteen through twenty five, concerning the Kohathites, uh, uh, the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari. And then finally, uh, make sure you mark out Numbers chapter eighteen, which is sort of a, a thesis chapter concerning the Levites, uh, who they are from. What do they do as priests for the people of Israel and how they are going to survive uh, since they're set apart for the divine service and doing uh, the worship service for Israel? Uh, so that's, that's what I have for um, sort of extra biblical context anyway. Very good. In, in terms of some of the, the texts that you mentioned, Exodus 6 and, and particularly Numbers 18, give us a bit of a refresh on what we find there concerning the Levites and their role in Israel. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, so you have uh, the priests. <laughs> the priests are not uh, folks who wake up one day and say, I feel a calling to serve God, which is inter- interestingly like how oftentimes people nowadays start moving towards um, some kind of uh, pastoral vocation that they, mm. you know, they feel a calling to serve God. You hear that language all the time. But in the Old Testament, the calling came through blood, which is interesting. You know, uh, the Lord didn't want to consult the people and how they felt about it. If you so happen to be born of the tribe of Levi, then you were going to, as, as a man, you were going to spend 
uh, part of your life or a significant part of your life offering divine service to the Lord on behalf of the people of Israel, you know? And so in, in, uh, in chapter 18 of Numbers, you hear about how the sons of Levi, uh, you know, the sons of Aaron are told this. Uh, and, and then, you know, you, they're told that these are the kinds of sacrifices that you will make on behalf of the people of Israel. And then uh, you see in verse 21 that to the Levites, the sons of Aaron, the priests, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. This is great. I mean, churches say tithe. You got to tithe. Please tithe. If, you, if people ask the question, why do we tithe? Here's an Old Testament answer that has New Testament repercussions. People tithe so that those people who offer divine service, uh, they can be sustained. You know, uh, let's face it. Uh, we, most people, when they engage in a trade, if they have a job or an occupation, they're providing a service to the community. And in exchange for the service, they receive, you know, uh, an equal exchange of goods or money, right? Not that we live in a barter economy. We're not in post-apocalyptic America yet, you know. <laughs> but, 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 you know, there's a fair exchange. And usually, this is what's interesting. The exchange happens at the beginning, Right. Uh, so the, the menu is set before you and you can see exactly how much you're going to pay and you don't pick the things on the menu that you can't afford, right? Uh, so also when you go into the uh, Ace Hardware and you pick out a new uh, set of shears for your bushes, you, you look at the price, you compare and you consider. And so like the transactional side of things is almost upfront. You pay for the thing and then you benefit from it, you know? Well, with the, with the Levites, the priests, it's almost as if... Uh, they are to engage in the service no matter what. And they have to count on the obedience of the rest of God's people to offer the prescribed tithe and the sacrifices, the victims, to be used as food and the tithe to be used uh, for their living, you know, uh, so that they can live and prosper, have kids. And so there can be another generation of priests who will come and serve the Lord after them. Uh, who are chosen to be priests, not because they felt a calling from God, an inner call of some sort, but instead they've been born into a particular family, you know? Uh, it's not all that different today. And the more I think about it, I don't know, Tim, like, did you ever, uh, I'm sure people ask you this all the time. Like, do you, did you have a time in your life where you felt like this call to serve in the office of the Holy Ministry, where you, you know, that you felt that God was somehow singling you out to do this, this preaching and teaching work? Yeah, I mean, I, I do get asked that question as a pastor, and I, I'm sure you do too. And and generally speaking, I guess, and I don't know if I'm I'm different about this or not, but I, I I generally answer well. It started to seem like that could be something I could do when I was oh about confirmation age, and I just kind of kept going down that path, and it kept sort of working. And here I am today as a pastor. So I don't know that I had a, a necessarily a, a burning in my heart or, or something similar to Jeremiah, but. I know I am called now. Uh, the Lord has done so through His church, and, and so I, I, I know I have the call, and I am a pastor. I don't, my my story isn't maybe as uh, as exciting as some. <laughs> it's that's probably this is very similar to my story. I mean, I really relate to the the tribe of the Levites for this reason. Uh, yeah, that I, my dad was a pastor, you know. And growing yeah. up, my dad always said to us boys, I my brother and I, he said, uh, "One of you will be a pastor. It's going to happen." And so he started in kind of giving us the mindset from a very early age of service in the Lord's house. And like any good preacher's kid, I bucked and rebelled. And I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to 
do what my dad wants me to do. What teenager wants to do that? I'll enlist in the military. So, you know, kind of like Jonah, I ran away from home. <laughs> Not, I mean, in, in a very respectable, honorable way. And, and certainly God was pleased with that, with that work that I did. And my family was very encouraging. They thought it was great too, you know. But after I got done with my service in the military, I knew that that was not what I could do or wanted to do for the rest of my life. I ended up at home, went to college and studied philosophy because apparently, you know, being a barista at Starbucks was like a future prospect. And, and my dad would have these breakfasts with me on Friday morning saying, son, you are preparing yourself for a life in the office of the holy ministry. I just look at him and he said, and, and he would say, trust me, it's going to happen. And, and sure enough, uh, everything fell into place and, uh, and through the church, especially through a, a pastor and father, other members of my local congregation where I grew up, you know, who encouraged me to pursue the holy ministry. This is how the call uh, to serve God in the church comes. It comes through the church and it is especially clear and very direct uh, that uh, you as a pastor serve in this particular church, this particular congregation. When uh, you know every seminarian gets to go through call day, right? At every subsequent call that comes after that, that's the Lord of the church uh, moving men around where He needs them to preach, to teach, to administer the sacraments, right? And so I, I don't know about you, but I really relate to when the Old Testament talks about a whole tribe of priests, because I know many pastors' kids, many pastors' sons, uh, who uh, because they were born into that pastor's family, were from the very beginning. Uh, thinking about service to the Lord at his church. And it's become a family heritage and in a wonderful way in some families where it's not even just two generations, but sometimes three and four generations. And that's not bad. I think that's, uh, there's no command from Christ to do it that way by no means, right? But I still think that uh, it is sort of a reflection of how things were used to be in the Old Testament. And even though the priesthood was passed on by blood, that didn't make it any less or any less effective mm for the preaching of salvation, the preaching of the coming seed of the woman, the Messiah for the people of Israel. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 my dad was not a pastor, but he was very involved in the church, and he's the son of a pastor. Actually, there, there are pastor apples going back several generations from my grandfather back. And so that it, it is in my family too. And having sons myself, I encourage them down the same path. You know, this is something that, that you should think about, son. I would love to see you be a, a faithful pastor as well. And they, they do. They tell me, dad, I, I think I could do that. You know, I mean, so it is, it is, I, I have some similarities there with you as well. And I, I appreciate that. That, that encouragement, you know, and I, I think, yeah, what, what better, well, I shouldn't say, what, what a wonderful thing to do to raise up our sons to be pastors, you know, to, to go about the Lord's work of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and to live by faith, particularly as a pastor being supported by those to whom we preach. That I think is one of the things that we do see with the Levites that it connects to them and and they live by faith. As you said, I like the the way you you drew that connection to the way transactions work and how the Levites it kind of it works opposite that. They're gonna be Levites. How are they gonna be provided for? Well, they're gonna trust the Lord to do that through his people. Mm-hmm. But they're going to do that that work regardless. I think that's a that's an interesting way of looking at it. And I think that really draws out that, and we've seen this this elsewhere when we've talked briefly about the Levites that they do stand among the people of Israel as a as a bit of a reminder to all of them that they live by faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very clear with the Levites that they have to live by faith because if 
the people don't tithe, they don't get paid, to put it bluntly. But I think that serves as a reminder to all these other tribes that do have land and and all the all the things benefits associated with it. Hey, remember, just like these Levites living among you, they're living by faith. You are too, even though it looks a little different. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's it's true. I mean, so the Lord works through means, right? And and, and uh, He provides for the people who are in the priesthood and outside of the priesthood through means, you know, whether I have an occupation or a job to provide for my family working in a warehouse or whether I'm a pastor and people give their money, right, uh, explicitly for uh, uh, to do the Lord's wor- uh, will according to his word to provide for the preachers and teachers of the gospel. Nevertheless, for both the lay person and for the person who's been called to be a public preacher, um, it is the Lord who provides. It is the Lord who gives. And uh and this is why, it's, you know, as a pastor, I'm sure you do, and all pastors, you know, we we also tithe. You know, mm. it seems a little bit redundant, but it makes a good point with the family and for the rest of the church that just as you have been provided for by the Lord through the things that you do, so I so I have as well, and so also, you know, the first the first fruits of what I receive return to the Lord and His church and for the administration of the gospel. You know, it's one of those weird things where you know, you're you're both the a man and a pastor, you're yeah. serving in an office, this sort of thing. And you have to keep that distinction in mind to understand how that, you know, you, uh, Pastor Apple, the man, can do things to support, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Apple, the pastor who serves in the office, you know. Yeah, yeah. Let's with that with that introduction. Let's go ahead and, and take a look at this text. We're going to deal primarily with the tribe of Levi, as we've already been talking about. So let's look at the text and then continue our conversation. This is Joshua twenty one. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel, and they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. The Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in, along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by the command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. The lot came out for the clans of the Kohathites. So the Levites who were descendants of Aaron the priest received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin 13 cities. And the rest of the Kohathites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the tribe of Manasseh, ten cities. The Gershonites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan, thirteen cities. The Merarites, according to their clans, received from the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Zebulun, twelve cities. These cities and their pasture lands, the people of Israel gave by lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Out of the tribe of the people of Judah and the tribe of the people of Simeon, they gave the following cities mentioned by name, which went to the descendants of Aaron, one of the clans of the Kohathites, who belonged to the people of Levi, since the lot fell to them first. They gave them Kiriath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah along with the pasture lands around it. But the fields of the city and its villages had been given to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his possession. And to the descendants of Aaron the priest, they gave Hebron, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with its pasture lands, Libna with its pasture lands, Jatir with its pasture lands, Eshtemoah with its pasture lands, Halon with its pasture lands, Debir with its pasture lands, Aen with its pasture lands, Juta with its pasture lands, 
Beth Shemesh with its pasture lands, nine cities out of these two tribes, then out of the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its pasture lands, Geba with its pasture lands, Anathoth with its pasture lands, and Almon with its pasture lands, four cities. The cities of the descendants of Aaron, the priests, were in all 13 cities with their pasture lands. As to the rest of the Kohathites belonging to the Kohathite clans of the Levites, the cities allotted to them were out of the tribe of Ephraim. To them were given Shechem, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with its pasture lands in the hill country of Ephraim, Gezer with its pasture lands, Kibzaim with its pasture lands, Beth Horon with its pasture lands, four cities, and out of the tribe of Dan, Eltke with its pasture lands, Gibeathon with its pasture lands, Aijalon with its pasture lands, Gath Ramon with its pasture lands, four cities, and out of the half tribe of Manasseh, Tanakh with its pasture lands, and Gath Ramon with its pasture lands, two cities. The cities of the clans of the rest of the Kohathites were ten in all with their pasture lands. And to the Gershonites, one of the clans of the Levites, were given out of the half tribe of Manasseh, Golan in Bashan with its pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, and Bashterah with its pasture lands, two cities. And out of the tribe of Issachar, Kishion with its pasture lands, Dabarath with its pasture lands, Jarmuth with its pasture lands, and Ganim with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Asher, Mishal with its pasture lands, Abdon with its pasture lands, Helkath with its pasture lands, and Rahab with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee with its pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, Hamath Dor with its pasture lands, and Kartan with its pasture lands, three cities. The cities of the several clans of the Gershonites were in all 13 cities with their pasture lands. And to the rest of the Levites, the Merarite clans were given out of the tribe of Zebulun, Jokneam with its pasture lands, Karta with its pasture lands, Dimna with its pasture lands, Nahalal with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Reuben, Bezer with its pasture lands, Jahaz with its pasture lands, Kedemoth with its pasture lands, and Mephath with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Gad, Ramoth and Gilead with its pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, Mahanaim with its pasture lands, Heshbon with its pasture lands, Jazir with its pasture lands, four cities in all. As for the cities of the several Merarite clans, that is, the remainder of the clans of the Levites, those allotted to them were in all twelve cities. The cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. These cities each had its pasture lands around it. So it was with all these cities. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. That's our text for today. That's Joshua 21, verses 1 to 45. Pastor Flamey, before we get back to talking about the Levites I want to ask you a question that I've been asking all along. This is, you know, the the real estate portion of of Joshua is is kind of come to an end, but we're still dealing with real estate here, mm-hmm. although all the twelve tribes have been allotted. Yeah, and 
you know, this is one of those sections where it, you have to pronounce all these names. You have to read about a bunch of places that you may not know where they are. And and maybe you've had this question as a pastor. Someone's reading the book of Joshua. Pastor Flaming, I'm in Joshua 21. I've read all these cities with the Levites. What's the point? How, what good does that do the Christian? How, how would you answer a question like that? What's the Christian use of a text like this? Why does it matter for us still today? Yeah, the one thought I had uh, when hearing you go through the rather extensive and thorough list of all of these Very places thorough. and territories was that this is exactly like call day. <laughs> because that's what's happening. You know, that's that, right. That these Levites are like, well, what's going to happen to us? Where are we going to go? The Lord says, I've got this. All right, everybody gather up. Okay, which tribe do you belong to? The Kohathites? Okay, check it out. So some of you are going to this town. Bet you didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So it's, it's, it's cold day. I mean, that's really what it is. These, these men and their families are about to learn where they are to live among the people of Israel. Um, and and where and from where they will have to travel to the temple or the tabernacle to perform divine service for the people of Israel, uh, and 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 the I think the thoroughness of the list shows God's blessing to the entirety of Israel. No tribes are really set apart for special relationship with the Levites, and the others neglected. You see, so the thoroughness of the list shows us. God's provision, not only for the temporal lives of the people, he's already provided for that. You know? he, this is God providing for the spiritual lives, the spiritual life of all of Israel. It matters that the Levites live in and among the people in their cities, uh, sharing pasture land. It matters because they fulfill this wonderful priestly duty of speaking the word of the Lord to the people. Now they will do this imperfectly, as we know in the in, in the coming history of Judges and 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 First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and etc. But nevertheless, how wonderful it is that the Lord has put uh, in place these teachers of of the gospel truth, you know, to point people to the righteousness of the law, and then finally uh, to the greater righteousness to be revealed in the seed of the woman who will crush the lying serpent's head and destroy his works of bringing sin and death into the world. Uh, so it's great, especially for pastors to think about this. Uh, you should live among your people. You should uh, rub elbows with them, so to speak. Uh, the, 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 the preachers and the priestly class or whatever you would call them, uh, they are not to seclude themselves in their own little area and, and we ha can see that temptation in other religions or in other sects of Christianity, where the priests withdraw to be by themselves in a particular holy city, where they do their, their mysterious rites, uh, or, or perhaps the, the, they have a, a separate quarter from everybody else. That's not ever how it is. I mean, think about this. Just to make a New Testament connection, uh, to help us understand the, the richness of what God has just done for his people. Uh, when Mary goes to visit, her cousin Elizabeth, does she go to Jerusalem where all the Levites live? Mm. No. She goes to the hill country of Judea, right? Mm. Uh, and in going to the hill country of Judea, it shows that Zechariah and Elizabeth, and uh, even though they were of the Levitical clan, were in and among the people of Judah, right? Rubbing elbows with them, saying hi to them in the market, 
uh, you know, uh, their, their kids would go to the same synagogue, right? And, it, uh, it, and they would know each other face to face. And and how wonderful that is for us as an example in the New Testament for those who've been called to pastoral ministry, that we are to be representatives of God and his word, not just on Sunday, right? We're, we're, it's not like we become pastor for only like a couple or three hours on Sunday, but instead we should be in our in our folks' homes, you know? Uh, we should go to their places of work, I would say, right? And even do some fun things with them so that they could see you as a pastor and as a spiritual shepherd, not just in one compartmentalized time of their life on Sunday morning, but in every time of their life, no matter the circumstance. Is there a birthday party? Well, it's good for the, and it's a wonderful thing for the members of the congregation to invite the pastor and his family so that they could also rejoice in that circumstance, right? So yes, pastors are set apart. They feel like they ha- they live life in a fishbowl. I get it, but you don't have to be in a fishbowl. You know, so much of that we build, we we make up for ourselves. Uh, we we feel the pressure of everybody looking at us. But maybe the Lord also wants you and your family to be an example uh, uh, for the rest of the church. You know, uh, and, uh, and 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 so that. So that's, I don't know, maybe I, I've gone like two or three steps removed from the text at this point, Tim. So I'm, I'm sorry about that. Well, no, but I really, I really think that's beautiful. And, and just to, you know, the question that I've been asking, it's, it's nice to, to see how, you know, when, when we come to a chapter like this, where there are lists of names, it's easy to group them all together, but there are different kinds of lists in the mm-hmm. scriptures. And so, you know, the real estate sections that we've been reading that are dividing boundaries, something was going on there that's, and something a little bit different is going on here than even like genealogies and other lists in the scriptures. So I appreciate you bringing out the specifics of this list in particular. And I love the way that you put it, that this is call day for the Levites, even, even to the point that it's done by lot, which I... I don't know that they do it that way at the seminaries, but sometimes it seems that way, I'm sure, to the men who are receiving their calls. It's but yeah, I, right. <laughs> <laughs> so or they throw they throw arrows at a at a map or something like that. You know, but but this is the Lord's call day for the Levites. I love that. And then the, the way they explained it, that he he provides for his preachers throughout the land to live side by side with his people, to be that example, to be proclaiming the word in season and out of season, to use the language of St. Paul. It's a, a fantastic way of looking at this chapter. We're gonna keep talking about the Levites on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Brian Flamey this morning about Joshua 21. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe. Become a patron. 
and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, November 7th. We're studying Joshua chapter 21, verses 1 to 45 with Pastor Brian Flamey. He serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. Pastor Flamey, prior to the break, we were talking about this chapter concerning the Levites, their call day throughout Israel. And you mentioned this, I think, early on in the context that the Levites receive an inheritance in a different way than everyone else. And in some places, it even says that the Lord is their inheritance. So what I mean, what is the inheritance of the Levites? What does it mean that the Lord is their inheritance? Yeah, so it was brought to the remembrance of the Levites as the land is being divided up and leading up to this chapter that it was said directly to the Levites uh, that the Lord will be your inheritance. And this is a fantastic turn of phrase. And, and it should be understood in at least a couple of different ways. Uh, uh, first of all, and this is something that Again, in the New Testament, we should take seriously as an example for the preachers and the proclaimers of the word of God, um, that when you see the job, the lucrative jobs being taken up by your peers, right? Uh, and they're able to provide for their family with these upfront transactions, like you know exactly how much you're going to be paid before you agree to take a job. Um, that's not a reason for you as a pastor to despair, right? Um, why is that? Because the Lord promises to take care of you. He's the one who speaks to the church to provide for the pastors. And so even if there's this great deal of worldly uncertainty, the Lord is telling first the Levites and then in the New Testament to his preachers of the gospel, this is good. It's good for you to learn to trust, uh, to, to take your eyes off of the earth and to turn your eyes skyward, right? So to speak, or, or in the New Testament, set them upon the cross and to pray that the Lord would see to you and your family in, in your time of need. Uh, so the Lord himself is the inheritance of the Levites in that sense. Instead of looking to this plot of gra- ground and saying to yourself, I will work this, uh, occupy myself with the dominion of this plot of land. No, the, the kind of work they've been set aside to, and this is the other half of, of inheritance also, I think, is that they are to face God on behalf of the rest of the people both to offer up uh, intercessory prayer, right? And sacrifices which proclaim the coming sacrifice of the seed. And in that sense, you know, the occupation that they're about is not an occupation that produces worldly benefit, but instead is a, it is an occupation and a calling uh, that, that teaches themselves and the rest of their, you know, fellow tribesmen in Israel uh, to anticipate what the Lord gives from heaven, you know, mm. and how this looks forward to uh, uh, the giving of God's own son for the redemption of the world. So the, the Levites in occupying themselves with the things of the Lord, with the preaching, with the prayers and with the sacrifices, uh, they're learning an important lesson for themselves. Uh, it's good for their faith. It's good for their sanctification, to use a Lutheran term, right? It, it also teaches the same thing for the rest of the people of Israel, you know, uh, uh, to say to themselves, look at the Levites, you know, they're not hustling. You, we like to use this term in, in Roswell, I guess. A lot of independently uh, employed folks are hustling around, making a living, uh, looking for a buck wherever they can find it, you know, and it's easy in that in that sort of environment and with that attitude to think, well, I have these things by the sweat of my own brow, by the strength of my own arm, right? But then you see the Levites or uh, you see your parish pastor 
Uh, and you say, well, he's not hustling for a buck, but that's good because it's teaching me also that the Lord will provide for me. If I lose my job tomorrow, that doesn't take away from the fact that the Lord will give you daily bread. I, I, I mean, you really have to take that seriously. Uh, when when Jesus preaches concerning the, the birds of the air and the flower of the field and how the heavenly father sees them and takes care of them and how much more of value are you over they over the over these over the birds or the flowers right we have to take these words seriously even to the point where if the means that god provides for me today to take care of myself and my family are suddenly whisked away um that doesn't mean that i am rejected by god not in the least it doesn't mean that i've sinned in some way to perpetually make god angry at me it doesn't it doesn't mean that God's forgotten about me. Uh, what it should do is teach us to be more like the Levites. And I mean this for both pastors and lay people out there to become more like the Levites and to say to myself that the Lord is my inheritance. He will provide, right? And he gives of his own bountiful goodness, right? Uh, if he desires it, he can make us rich or poor in a day. And he has told me, especially for, for Christians in the New Testament, he's, Jesus has given us this beautiful prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And as often as we pray that, the Lord is eager and happy to answer that prayer and to provide for us, right? Uh, I don't know, Tim, so this is one of the things that I've seen as a pastor more often than anything else when it comes to the cross and suffering in the lives of folks in the congregation is that worldly means of support are cut off. And when that happens, you know, the family or the individual will be there in your office with you, uh, you know, with tears in their eyes saying, Pastor, I don't, I don't know what this means. I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm afraid, you know. And so what, what, what uh, opportunity, you know, the Levites had back then and pastors have nowadays, uh, just to say to folks in that situation, the Lord sees you. The Lord knows you. The Lord loves you so much. That he's given his own son to die for you. And in the words of Romans chapter eight, and if he's given us his son, how can he not give us all things? He will give you your daily bread, right? And, and in retrospect, and in retrospect, uh, we can look back at the times where we thought that we were being made destitute. And then we see how the Lord was providing for us in, in our, our moments of, of temptation and despair, you know, mm. that the Lord was gently handling us and bringing us around the awareness that he sees us, he provides for us, and, and, and not just giving us spiritual nothings, right? But in giving us real comfort of, of, uh, uh, that we can chew on in this life, comfort of conscience, comfort of soul, and also the comfort of the body, that God sees us and he wants to give us daily bread. Uh, so the Levites are taught this in a very particular way when they see all of their brothers these fellow tribesmen of Israel being given all of this land, and then almost as if they've been forgotten, they come up to the high priest at Joshua. They're like, uh, what about us? <laughs> yeah. Have we been forgotten about? And, and I think it is John Calvin who suggested uh, in his commentary on this that, yeah, well, they were in fact forgotten. <laughs> mm. I'm of the opposite opinion. I believe that this is intentional. The Levites are told to wait until last. Uh, to teach how the Lord can take from something that's already been divvied up completely, something that's already been consumed by by forces and powers in the and seemingly in the world, and he, out of that he can still provide for his people. In this case, provide for his priestly class 
And in our case today, that he can provide for us, even if we don't know where the next paycheck is going to come from, you know? Mm. Uh, the the thought of of them being the forgotten tribe, I think I think you're right that they haven't been forgotten, and this is the Lord fulfilling what he's what he said, and he he does it in a, a perhaps a, a surprising way. I, I I was reminded of something we talked about on a previous show when we were dealing with the inheritance of Simeon, and when Jacob blesses his sons in Genesis 49, he blesses Simeon and Levi together. And at the end, he says to both of them, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Mm. And and that proves very true for the Levites, particularly Simeon. I think it proves somewhat true because their territory is engulfed within Judah. Yes, yes. But even even more so for Levi. And and what sounds, you know, that's, quote, Jacob's blessing. But boy, that doesn't sound like the best blessing in the world. Mm. And, and yet as the Lord goes about and, and proves those words of Jacob true, he fulfills them, he does so in a way that does end up blessing Levi and does so in in great ways. I, so I, I, that's, I think, one one thing that came to mind as you were talking. The other thing that came to mind, we were talking about the Levites having the Lord as their inheritance and the way that that teaches both them and the people of Israel. It, it seems that it it teaches them to praise as we sing in the, in the hymn, Lord, Thee I love with all my heart. Thou art the portion I have sought. Yeah. This is this is what we look for. And what you're describing about, you know, when, when someone comes in and they've they've lost everything or they're not sure where their daily bread is going to come from, that they still can pray that, that that even if all these earthly goods are taken away, the Lord still is our portion and we seek after him first, knowing that he will provide all things needful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. What a great reference to that beautiful hymn. I keep on asking people, is this your favorite hymn? And I always expect like half of Lutheranism to say yes. It turns out to be not that many people. <laughs> oh, well, well, it is my favorite oh, hymn. Oh, good, so. good. <laughs> so we're at 100% for this episode at least. So, <laughs> so Pastor Fleming, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the work of the Levites because you, you're talking about how they're, they're, they're among the people as the proclaimers of the gospel. And you mentioned that their two primary works are to to pray and to sacrifice. And I don't I mean I don't know. Do they do the Levites do any preaching like a, a pastor would? I, I'm I'm not sure if if we see that at least all the time among the people of Israel. But I, I'm curious about those two primary works. If you would talk a little bit more about how those works, particularly the work of sacrificing, actually is a proclamation of the gospel in Israel. Yeah. Uh, so you can imagine if it was if if the sacrificial divine service of offering up bloody victims in the first, the tabernacle and then the temple. If this was a wordless event, and, and, and so the, as you know, in, in the manner of, uh, by the doing of the work, it's done. I believe that that was an aberration if, and when that occurred and that, and that sort of filled up the invectives of the prophets against the div- those who practiced the divine service and put their trust in the divine service, you know, in the mouth of Jeremiah or uh, of Isaiah. And, and, and I think what had happened was that the doing of the of the work had somehow been rendered with, uh, had somehow been rendered with the, the 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 word and the instruction and the teaching of the priests. Man, I I had it written down. I can't find it. There's this wonderful uh, passage. I think it's in Malachi that concerns the preaching and the teaching office of the priests. I guess my my eyes are passing over the place in the page where it should be. But if I find it, I'll definitely bring it to the attention of the hearers because the old Lutherans, oh, here it is. This is Malachi chapter two, verse seven. The old 
the old Lutherans made a lot of hay with this passage to prove the preaching office and the teaching office of the Levites. And, and to give you uh, what that, that, that verse says, it says, the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth. That is, the people of Israel should seek the law, the instruction, the Torah of God at the mouth of the priests, you know? And I think this is descriptive of what the priests should have been doing up until that point. I mean, it's no small thing that Moses uh, and Aaron of, are of the same family, right? He is a prophet, right? And yet he belongs to this, the, the, the tribe of the priests. And, and so the, the, the prophetic office and the, and the priestly office that were not as far removed as sometimes we might think when reading the Old Testament. Uh, that it is, so when you're rubbing elbows with a Levite in Hebron, right? Uh, the, you're, I mean, I think it's the will and, and, and the desire of, of God, especially as described by the prophet Malachi, that the priest would say to his fellow in the field or at the market, uh, you know, the, the, this is what the Lord says concerning, you know, the fifth commandment or the sixth commandment. This is what the Lord says about the redemption of Israel and so on and so forth. And so the divine service in the tabernacle and the temple um, is always accompanied by the, the, the promises and the, uh, the, of God as expounded first in the Torah and taken up in song in the Psalms, right? So the Psalms are not disembodied spiritual hymns, but they were hymns to be used in worship at, at, in tabernacle and at temple and going up to the temple and, and so forth, right? Uh, and then as the sacrifices are being performed, it's not a wordless, soundless ritual uh, I can't remember which Lutheran fathers, uh, Lutheran father, man, I, you gotta be careful. I call, I'll start calling Luther St. Luther before you know it, but <laughs> I can't remember which Lutheran father said this. Uh, uh, but he said like, uh, as the animal was being killed, like he would say that thus, and so will the, the redeemer be, be uh, shed his blood for the forgiveness mm. of your sins, you know? Uh, and I really love that idea. I mean, even if the even if the words aren't maybe exactly in that formulation, that nevertheless, the promise of future redemption in the Messiah is bound up with the sacrifices that are done in the temple. So the people learn not to trust in the doing of the work, but their faith is planted firmly in the promise of God, right? And what I, what's really helpful about this is it opens up our, our minds and our understanding to see the Old Testament church, not as a church of works and works righteousness, but indeed, they are like us, uh, people of faith, right? Uh, and, and indeed, this is how St. Paul talks about Abraham and his descendants, you know, his true descendants. Yeah. That even though the, the true descendants of Abraham aren't so much the ones of his blood, but the ones who held faith with God according to the promise. You know, They were looking forward to the Messiah to come. And we, uh, uh, our faith takes us back in time to the place where that Messiah offered up his life as a ransom for your sins and the sins of the whole world, right? Mm. Yeah, even and even if it wasn't as maybe as explicit as whichever Lutheran father said it the way that he did in terms of the divine service while the sacrifice is happening, I mean, it wouldn't be, I could easily imagine something like, you know, while the sacrifice is happening or around the service of the, the sacrifice being done that, you know, you're reading, say, from Genesis 22 yes, with the, yes. you know, I mean, or, or Isaiah 53 later on, yes. just to, to name the two that come, to, head, to my mind right away that, you know, when you're reading that and you're seeing the sacrifice, you start to make these connections, you know, the Holy Spirit does that, you know, I mean, that's, I think that's part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, what a wonderful connection. I mean, the people return to uh, this, uh, the tabernacle, to the, uh, uh, 
or to the temple for the Passover, right? Yeah. And that's not yeah, a silent too, event. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. the lamb, the, the sheep aren't being slaughtered wordlessly, but proclaiming how the blood of the victim was shed so that the angel of death would pass over. That's Christ. That's Jesus right there. You know, and That's as right. insofar as the people hear this and, and their hearts, you know, are, are, are filled up by the Holy Spirit with faith, they are saved by the same Redeemer as we are saved by. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We got about 10 minutes left here, Pastor Flaming. I do want to take a look at these last few verses of the chapters or this chapter that comes after the listing of the city of Levites. There's 48 of them. There's there's two things I think we can pick up. One is the, the thought that the Lord gives rest to the land of Israel. And then second, uh, what Professor Harstad in his commentary considers the theme of the book of Joshua, that not one word of the good promises of the Lord came or failed. They all came to pass. Let's let's talk about those two things. Start with the, the rest that the Lord gives the land. Yeah. Oh, man, this is great. This is picked up by uh, the author of, of Hebrews, who I get, go back and forth on whom that is. Right now, I'm stuck on Paul. I'm sorry, everybody. But <laughs> I, that could. That's what it was the last time I talked. Okay, to good, think, good. So, so there's a little yeah. bit of consistency. So I'm yeah. still of that persuasion. Uh, so when Paul talks about uh, the divine service of the New Testament, right? Uh, he talks about it in terms of being the fulfillment of the rest that the people of Israel had uh, uh, possessed in a in 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 an anticipatory way. Uh, so especially look back to Hebrews chapter four, and. Uh, yeah, and 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 uh, it, especially in, in, in chapter, is verse, starting in verse seven to give a bit of context. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. Uh, the Sabbath day is the day of hearing the Lord's voice with, with soft hearts of faith, right? Not with the hardened hearts of unbelief and a desire to persistently and stubbornly uh, uh, stay in your sin, you know? Uh, and so this, and so Joshua uh, uh, has uh, led the people of Israel uh, the, the land is conquered, right? And they have this wonderful declaration now that uh, 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 from Joshua or whoever, uh, Eliza or whoever has written this part of Joshua, that this is rest. The Lord has given the people rest. That for 40 years, they had wandered in the wilderness. And then they, it went into year after year of, con, uh, of conflict, of warfare and battle. The land has been divided. And now comes that sigh of relief, right? That all of our labors are being set aside and everything that the Lord had promised, and this is the next thing you want to talk about, I know, but everything that the Lord has, has promised us is now come upon us. This is wonderful. Yet, nevertheless, uh, this is not the totality of the rest that God wants to give his people, which was the particular temptation of the uh, is Israelites, the Hebrews who had converted to Christianity, right? And who have the, according to the eyes, the meanness of the Lord's table versus the splendor of the temple, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and, they're, and, they, and they think back to the good old days, the glory days, when all the 12 tribes had their particular place and all the enemies had been defeated. And 
and how this was a particular temptation of the Israelites and, and uh, the Hebrews, the Jews to, to say, I want that back. That is the rest I want. When in fact, the point of the authors of the Hebrews is that no, that was an anticipatory rest. That was a rest that looked forward to the greater rest of works and works righteousness because of the redemption of the Son of God, right? That he gives true rest from our works. That instead of you know, having to exert our own, uh, our own efforts and will to become godly, God himself makes us godly through giving his son Jesus as our sacrifice by giving us the Holy Spirit <clears throat> Excuse me, to convert our hearts. Uh, that is the true Sabbath rest. It was, by the way, the true Sabbath rest uh, for God's people back then as well. You know, uh, to, I misidentify the Sabbath with the allotments and the possession of the land was a grave mistake and a grave sin. Uh, but for the people to see how the word, the, the word of the Lord had come to them and how the Lord had proved himself faithful to the word, that is the actual object of faith here. And that is the true Sabbath, the true rest that they possessed back then for their comfort and salvation. I, I think you see that even as the book of Joshua progresses, because from from this point on, then you get a bunch of a farewell speeches from Joshua. There's a, there's a couple here, maybe three. I think you see after this, and and what does Joshua reiterate to the people time and time again? Remain true to the Lord's word. Mm. That the the rest. I mean, you know, the Sabbath rest that they're receiving. That you know, warfare is ended pretty much and they're going to have peace they're not going to be carrying their swords around all the time at this point that's not the real rest the real rest is going to be found when you stay true to the word that moses spoke to you the word that i've been speaking to you joshua says stay in that word remain faithful to that word i think i think you see that if you're you know if you're looking for it in the book of joshua he makes that plain also which again the writer of the hebrews we can say saint paul for this episode at least he makes it plain there in, in chapter 4 of hebrews talk talk also then about the the final verse of our text which i man i think i think this could be a confirmation verse not one word of all the good promises that the lord had made to the house of israel had failed all came to pass at least Rightly understood, this could be a confirmation verse. Absolutely. Give us that, that last. I verse. would want it. I'm going to do that now. Thank you uh, for welcome. mentioning this as a as a possible confirmation <laughs> verse. Because what does this teach? The infallibility of the Word of God. You know, uh, so we say all kinds of wonderful, beautiful things about the Word of God. That it is inerrant. It is without error. It's true. That it is inspired. That is, it comes directly from God Himself through, you know, the prophets and the apostles. But it is God's word that we're talking about. Uh, we also say it's sufficient. It's sufficient to teach us everything that's necessary for life and, uh, uh, you know, good works and, and most especially for faith, the, the salvation that comes by faith. Here we learn about this special attribute called infallibility, and that is, and that means this: that when the Lord promises to you. Uh, that your sins are forgiven you for the sake of Christ. When the pro Lord promises to you that everything taken away from you in this life will be returned back to you in the resurrection, that death has no claim on you, right? These wonderful promises, even if we don't possess them tangibly or with our eyes, uh, even if we're looking forward to them in the future, nevertheless, we can remember God's absolutely wonderfully perfect faithfulness to his promises to his people of old right every promise made concerning the possession of the land is fulfilled and that gives us confidence in the promises that god speaks to us today 
Every single promise that God made about the coming savior of the world, uh, the seed of, uh, of the woman, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Uh, uh, the star of, and lion of Judah. All of this has come to pass just as the Lord said. Jesus makes such a big deal about this, right? So that the word of the Lord may be fulfilled, right? And then uh, he submits himself to his passion, to his sufferings, you know? It's to prove the promises of God are faithful and true. And, and this strengthens our hearts. And, it's, and the Holy Spirit works through this knowledge of God's past faithfulness to give us present faithfulness. Hmm. Pastor Philip, maybe we have about two minutes on the morning. Help us to wrap this text up on the cities of the Levites, the Lord giving rest, fulfilling his promises as we close this morning. Yeah, the, the one thing I want to make sure that we close with is uh, for everybody who's out there, remember to talk to your kids about service uh, to the Lord, and especially in his church. I mean, we, I'm at a pastor's conference right now in Breckenridge, Colorado. And this is something that you see with both the teachers who are gathered here and also with the pastors. Everybody's wringing their hands saying, where are we going to find teachers? Where are we going to find pastors? Well, dear listener, uh, think about your, your kids. Think about your grandkids, your great grandkids. And think about how you can speak openly and without embarrassment about uh, to the, the kids who have a great faith in Jesus to say, wouldn't it be wonderful, dear child, to, uh, to share this faith uh, with others, you know, and, and for the, especially for the young boys to say to them from an early age that uh, the Lord may desire you to be a preacher of righteousness for this fallen and sinful world, to give great hope and salvation to this world. The Lord wants to work through people and through boys like you when they are called into the ministry of the word, right? How necessary is it for us to tell young boys and girls that someday you could be a teacher in a Christian school and especially at a Lutheran school, right? Uh, and I see this is why the familiar connection with the Levites is so important, that it was passed down from father to son, from one generation to the next. And, and we should also use those, those family connections as the, the, the starting place to speak about Christ and to encourage work in Christ's church. Pastor Brian Flammy is pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico, helping us today with Joshua chapter 21, verses 1 to 45. Pastor Flammy, thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, a lot of fun. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple. If you have any questions about the book of Joshua, comments on the series, or you'd just like to let us know where you're listening, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.